0: What is up, Dolphins, fans, and welcome into the Tuesday, September the 10th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we'll jump into the aftermath of Dolphins and Ravens, get you the latest from pro football focus, Miami's individual and team statistics and where things went wrong from an organizational standpoint. Plus we've got Texans watch an astronomical point spread for next week against the Patriots and a theory in the case of things going in this direction all season long All of that and more, but first before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us that rating, leave us that review. We've been in the top 200 on iTunes regularly, so keep that going for us. Also, give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL. For the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, by Dolphins Twitter, you can find the show at Locked on Fins as well as our written content up on lockedondolphins.com and last but not least the other Locked on Sports family of podcasts like the Locked on Heat podcast and Locked on NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Let's go. That's another Miami Dolphins So we start off with the aftermath piece up live on lockedondolphins.com, and this will be kind of a Tuesday ritual for us. The film comes out tonight on Monday night, as I record this podcast, and we'll get into the All 22 on tomorrow's show. We'll have the crossover on Wednesday show. Thursday will be the preview, and Friday will be College Football Friday, Twitter mailbag, and other items left over from the week as we get you ready for game day every single week here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, but before I get into the article that is up on LockedOnDolphins.com right now, the aftermath piece, the weekly aftermath piece, I want to talk about three things where I think stuff went wrong, I suppose. You could probably use about 12 or 15 things, but the three primary areas why the Dolphins got beat by seven touchdowns, 59-10, to a 49-point deficit, the three reasons why I believe that happened start here. The TNT stuff, which is so fitting and such a microcosm of what this organization has been for the last couple of decades now. They make it a point to do certain things, and then you come back in the first game of the season, and those issues are some of the biggest ones you face. TNT, takes no talent, don't jump off sides, be in the right position, do your assignment, make tackles. None of that stuff was in the Dolphins' favor as a strong suit in this game, the stuff that takes no talent. Jumping off sides, committing pass interference, hands to the face, missing tackles. There was 11 missed tackles in the game for the Dolphins on 70 plays. One out of every seven plays you get a missed tackle. That's not good. They had nine penalties on the day, which was more than double what the Ravens committed on their own side of the ball. The second area where things went wrong was the blown coverages. And Daniel Jeremiah, the Move the Sticks podcast host, NFL Network's lead draft analyst, the best guy out there for draft stuff. He alluded to this on his Twitter timeline on Monday morning, talking about what Lamar Jackson was able to do and some of the things that make him look like a very promising quarterback going forward. And one of those things was that he attacked... He identified and attacked blown coverages, and then in a parenthetical he wrote, there were plenty of them, end parenthetical. So talking about this Dolphins defensive formation, where this team was supposed to be vastly improved from last season, it remains not only a big issue, but perhaps the biggest issue in the game on Sunday In that 49-point drubbing, six touchdown passes, 638 yards. You guys know the numbers by now. And while, yes, a lot of that may have been a lack of talent, it's the same concerning issues we had in the past under Matt Burke with blown coverages, blown assignments, guys looking around the field at other players saying, I thought you had him. No, I thought you had him. That stuff just can't fly. That's not National Football League level football. That's not professional football. That's not even good at the college ranks. You have to get that stuff buttoned up and force the other team to make good plays to beat you because a lot of the time, the Ravens didn't have to make good plays. They just passed the ball on air because Miami's coverage units were all out of sorts and out of whack. And also... Why is a free safety, one who is Bobby McCain, who's never played the position before and is not the biggest guy to come down and help in the box and run support, why is your free safety playing single high coverage and then coming down and trying to help and run support? that only serves to vacate the middle of the field, at least make things difficult on this quarterback. And I get that you can't really play man coverage against Lamar Jackson, which is what this defense wants to do. We know the stats by now. The Patriots ran 54% man coverage last year, tops in the NFL, and that's what the Dolphins want to be under Brian Flores. Well, you can't play man coverage against Lamar Jackson, and you can't send crazy blitzes and different types of pass rush games at him because he can break the pocket, and you have to contain all that stuff. First, when you play Lamar, but I mean, come on, the zone coverages could have been much, much better. And the third thing that went wrong was the playing time of certain guys that are new to the program. And I guess you kind of have to do it because you had 13 players that were new from one week ago on this roster. So you're going to have to issue some of them into the game and deploy them into the game, I should say. But Avery Moss and John Jenkins both played over 40 snaps of the 70 total on defense. Those guys weren't here last week. So if they know all their assignments and every single thing they're supposed to do from a technique standpoint and from a job standpoint on a given play, good for them. But I bet you they didn't know all that. And I guarantee you Danny Isadora and Julianne Davenport off the right side of the offensive line were mostly lost throughout the course of this game because that right side of the line was dreadful all game long. We'll get to their individual metrics and grades and pressures allowed here in the aftermath piece, which again is up on LockedOnDolphins.com. We'll get to those guys in the next segment, but first let's talk about the team statistics from the game. Again, ProFootballFocus.com is your guys' source for all this great in-depth knowledge and information. You guys can sign up for a subscription there at ProFootballFocus.com. We know by now 59 points allowed is obviously dead last in the National Football League. The same is true For total yards, yards per play, first downs allowed, and the 265 rushing yards the Ravens had was nearly 100 more than the next highest rushing team on Sunday in the Minnesota Vikings. The Ravens converted 63.6% of their third downs. I told you yesterday they had two for two on fourth down as well, so nearly 70% when it came to the money downs. Only Washington allowed a higher conversion rate than Miami on third down, so the Dolphins ranked 31st on third down defense. On offense, not a lot better. 200 yards ranks dead last right now as I record this podcast before the Monday night doubleheader. They're also bottom in first downs, rushing yards and rushing average at 1.8 yards per carry. Their 10 points they scored was 29th in the NFL tied with the Green Bay Packers. The 30% third down conversion rate ranks 19th in football. So not terrible there, I suppose. Okay, we'll come back on the other side and get you guys in gear, but if you want to get yourself in gear for the holiday season, check out Peloton. This episode of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast is brought to you by Peloton and it's also brought to you by MyBookie because if you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or would you keep walking? Of course you're going to snatch that dough and since you make all these picks on winners every week, why not get paid by betting on them? Take against the Dolphins, for instance, which we'll talk about their crazy spread here in the other segment and I go to MyBookie to place those bets. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, Where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they were not the best. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet football this season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half you happen to have had the Dolphins and it's 42-3 to at the halftime break, your bet's going to lose. You can always just flip it and take the other side. Take the Ravens. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings in that parlay. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of the year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code LOCKEDON to activate that offer. That's code LOCKEDON. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Now it's still the best time of year, regardless of how bad this Miami Dolphins football team might be. But how can you hate September, October? We got baseball playoffs coming down the pipeline here, college football, the National Football League in full swing, the weather is the best. And while we might want to wallow in our own self pity, it could be worse. You could be a team with expectations that got the doors blown off you in your season opener at home, and you could have had your star receiver saying this. Did anybody catch this? Jarvis Landry talking to reporters after the Browns got walloped by thirty points to the Titans. Let's go ahead and play the audio. Say some of this was because you guys. I don't care about what nobody says. So don't ask me that question. Could lack like of playing time in the preseason have something to do with it? I don't ask me no question like that. Okay. That reporter okay at the end was one of the best things I've ever heard. As one of my favorite comedians, Chris D'Elia, always says, that's so, so bitch. It's such a bitch move to say okay there after Jarvis talks back to you. But I just can't stand when players treat reporters like they're less than. They're just men trying to do their job just like you. And if you're going to have that bravado and talk a big game all offseason and trash other people, you better be willing to take your medicine when the time comes. I just see this guy as not a very nice person. I think he displayed that here, but this is not a Browns podcast. Jarvis Landry is not a Miami Dolphin anymore. So we go back to our own misery here, which of course we love company in, but we're going to get back into the aftermath piece up on lockdowndolphins.com. Look at some snap counts here. The Dolphins were only on the field for 50 snaps on offense. Fitzpatrick played 45 of those. Rosen played the 5, of course. The running back split went to Kenyon Drake. He had 27 over Kalen Balazs 20 reps. Mark Walton only had 4, and Chandler Cox only played 3 snaps, which of course, when you go down 21 points in the first quarter, it's tough to get your fullback on the field the receiver snap counts were interesting Devontae parker led the way with 38 alan hearns was next at 35 jakeem grant got 30 preston williams 21 and albert wilson of course left the game with that calf strain he played just six mike is this game was more built for him than the other tight ends so he leads the way with 34 reps nick o'leary 20 durham Smythe 12 and all five offensive linemen good for them All five of them played 50 snaps each. It's pretty rare in this day and age for this Dolphins group to get a wire-to-wire performance from their offensive line, but they did do that. However, their durability was not matched by performance 18 pressures on Dolphins quarterbacks, seven of those resulting in hits on the player you put in a red shirt in practice. Julian Davenport allowed the most hits, only one to allow multiple hits as a matter of fact. But the leader in pressures was left tackle Jesse Davis, although all four of his pressures allowed were hurries, so he didn't get his QB hit. The best run blocking grade on the day went to Michael Dieter and Durham Smythe, with Julian Davenport and Daniel Kilgore the low men in run blocking. Eight of Kenyon Drake's 12 yards came after contact. That's good for a two yards after contact average. Much better than Kalen Ballage's .6 yak average in this game. Of course, Belage finished with negative rushing yards. Preston Williams' touchdown put him atop the receiver leaderboard. When it comes to passer rating on his targets, it was 111.7. He caught 60% of his passes, but only good for 4.8 yards per target. Devontae Parker was the opposite, caught just 43% of his passes, but checked in with an impressive 10.7 yards per target. The Dolphins' receiver group was the only position group on the roster that went above average in their grade on Pro Football Focus. And again, if you guys want to get more of these stats profootballfocus.com is one of the elite websites you might not agree with all their grades but the in-depth advanced data is unmatched across the internet profootballfocus.com check them out ryan fitzpatrick he threw 6.4 yards per pass attempt that ranked 19th and his 48.3 completion rate was last among all quarterbacks that have played games again we're doing this before the monday night doubleheader Spin it over to the defensive side of the ball. The snap counts there are also interesting. Jerome Baker leads the way with 72 snaps. That gives him 94% of the total workload at linebacker. Sam McGuavin's rough day was compounded by 68 snaps played. That's 88%. Rayquan McMillan played just 22 snaps, 29% of the total, but he also left the game with an injury. James Crawford had 14, Vince Beagle had 10. In the secondary, Eric Rowe led the way, 72 snaps for him, one more than Xavier Howard, 71 snaps. Jamal Wiltz only had 15 reps, but he certainly got taken to the shed, his fair share of opportunities. Bobby McCain had 59 snaps, Chris Lamonts had 13, Minka Fitzpatrick only had 49 snaps, That's 64%. And Rashad Jones is down to 32 snaps, only 42% of the defense's reps. Walt Aikens and Steven Parker had 18 and 16 snaps. Christian Wilkins led the way on the defensive line with 65 snaps. That's 88%, a heavy workload for the rookie. Charles Harris was next with 61. That's 79%. Jonathan Ledbetter had 51. John Jenkins and Avery Moss talked about them in the open. They both played 47 reps. And Devon Godshaw had 45, the last among all defensive linemen. And those 60 linemen played a lot of snaps. There was a clip at the end of the third quarter, maybe early in the fourth quarter where Flores was motioning for Devon Godshot to get off the field and he clearly did not want to get off the field and I think that's kind of why he was last in snap counts. They were trying to preserve the veteran, one of the best players on this defensive line and Flores motioned over to get off the field. Godshaw, I didn't see it, but based on Flores' reaction, Godshaw must have waved him off and said no because Flores then motioned more aggressively and said get the bleep off the field and Godshaw came running off. So, There was a lot of anger and issues and communication going on all throughout the game. One of the bright spots in this game on that defensive line was that Jonathan Ledbetter was credited by PFF with the lone sack and was the only lineman that had multiple pressures. He also led the team in run stops with four, that tied with newcomer John Jenkins with four run stops. So Jonathan Ledbetter continues to be a hit and a find in this defensive scheme. He's going to be a player going forward. Rashad Jones led the team in tackles. Also had three run stops of his own. Again, run stops are tackles made within two yards of the line of scrimmage. He was in coverage for one pass target, which was caught for six yards. So a pretty good day for Rashad Jones. The Dolphins missed 11 tackles like we talked about. Nine penalties on the day. That stuff has to get better. Eric Rowe was the leader in missed tackles. He had three. Also allowed a perfect six for six from the quarterbacks of the Ravens with 82 yards and two passing touchdowns. Not a good debut for Eric Rowe. And Minka Fitzpatrick, I might have to disagree with this. He was charged with three touchdowns and Jamal Wiltz only with one. But I think that Wilts had two touchdowns in his coverage area, or at least two big plays down around the goal line. To be fair to Fitzpatrick, though, some of those plays were him trying to recover from breakdowns elsewhere on the defense, namely Bobby McCain playing that single high safety role, trying to come down and run support, vacating the middle of the field. McCain had a rough, rough go of it. And I think Fitzpatrick kind of got tabbed with some of those shortcomings in his individual performance from pro football focus. Raquan McMillan, those 22 snaps, he led all linebackers with three run stops. So he continues to be good in that area. His coverage, another issue separately. And Sam Egwilvon had two run stops. Jerome Baker made just one. So those undersized nickel linebacker types really struggled in this game. And that's a position I thought was going to be a strength this year. But in the first game, it was a major major weakness and area of concern. The last note on this article up on LockedOnDolphins.com refers to the mutiny, or the reported mutiny that has yet to been substantiated by official sources, but we talked about Devon Godshaw's tweet and how he's a ride-or-die dude yesterday as he sent out a tweet of himself flexing in the game with the caption, we will be back, and a flexi emoji. He also, or Jerome Baker also tweeted, I'll go to war with this team every day, hashtag fins up, a picture of him and Walt Aikens, and then there's Also a report from Pro Football Talk, the same outlet that reported this possible mutiny and players wanting to be traded, that Xavier Howard is safe, he's not going anywhere, and he does not want to go anywhere. So this season is going to be challenging. The Dolphins aren't going to get beat by seven touchdowns every week, but if these sloppy mistakes continue, then they could do that. The primary reason to watch this team this year is to identify the scheme fits going forward. Sunday was a lot of cases of square peg round hole situations. And some of those were even the most promising players on this Dolphins team. That to me right now is the biggest concern going forward. And speaking of a potential mutiny or players wanting out or the results continuing to be this bad 49 point losses we're going to come back and explore a possible theory about the future of this team it might be crazy but just hear us out we'll do that we'll discuss the crazy odds for Dolphins Patriots next week compare this team to 2007 And it's Texans watch as the Texans play on Monday night. We'll get you updated on the result of that game. All of that and more next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. And if you guys want to make a memory that lasts a lifetime, then let Vivid Seats and the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. Just enter promo code KICKOFF at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100 with Vivid Seats. That's promo code KICKOFF to receive a discount of $100 at Vivid Seats we are five days away from buckling the chin straps and doing it all over again and currently the dolphins are 15.5 dogs with some sports books and 16.5 point dogs to the new england patriots and that number is climbing they expect it to get up to 17 points by the time business closes on Sunday. If the game were in Gillette, point spreads give you a three-point advantage for playing at home. So if the game was in Foxborough, you would call it a 23-point spread in the other direction. And we're going to be getting close to the all-time greatest spread which was 2013 Jacksonville at Denver. A member of Twitter told me this. I forget your handle. I apologize. But 2013 Jaguars and Broncos, 26 and a half point spread. The Jags actually covered that, believe it or not. But the Dolphins will have to cover probably a three touchdown spread against the Patriots if they want to make Gamblers winners in Sunday's Week 2 game against the Patriots, who just beat Pittsburgh by 30 points. So, should be an interesting game. Let's go back, though, real quick, because this Patriots team right now looks unstoppable. This Dolphins team looks unwinnable, unvictoriousable. I don't know the word for that. But you go back to 2007, when the Patriots had a 15-game advantage on the Dolphins by the time the season ended, 16-0. Dolphins were 1-15. Could that happen again this year? Because this Pats team is loaded on defense. They've got Antonio Brown joining Josh Gordon and Julian Edelman on an offense that has a great line and a steep stable of running backs. And then you've got old Tom Terrific who looks as good as ever. That team could be very good. And that brings me back into the idea of 2007 when the team went 1-15. And I wanted to do some comparisons and I might write an article later in the week that gets more in-depth on this comparison. But that team in 2007 really didn't wear down until injury set in. The offensive line was much better than this group, at least at the beginning of the year. They had Trent Green. He was thrown to Chris Chambers. Ronnie Brown got off to a rocket start that year, if you'll recall. There was still Jason Taylor on defense, so plenty of... Of the bodies and names we all knew on that side, on that team, were still there. And yet they went 1-15 because injuries really wore that team down. But the position that Miami put themselves in yesterday, or in Sunday's game, I should say, was kind of similar because of all the moves they made one week before the season. So all of a sudden, you're pushing new guys onto the field and expecting to get results that 2007 Dolphins team took the, o- the opening game of the season into overtime against Washington and lost by a field goal there. In fact, six of the first 11 games that year, more than half of them were decided by exactly a field goal by three points. So they were competitive. This Dolphins team yesterday on Sunday, I keep going back to that, was not competitive. And the Ravens just kind of have this team's number. I tweeted about this. They've outscored Miami 137-16 to in the last three games combined. Their power style versus Miami's finesse, that outside zone where you have Brandon Williams basically wrecking shop. In addition to well-disguised coverages and post-snap rotation that really brings out the worst in the quarterbacks the Dolphins have had because Miami going back all the way to Chad Pennington... Really hasn't had that elite level cerebral quarterback that can do things with his mind. And then even then with Pennington, his arm strength wasn't enough to overcome Ed Reed, the ultimate chess player and ultimate athlete at safety. But in addition to losing 137-16 to in the last three contests, the Ravens are responsible for 50% of Miami's playoff exits this century, two of the four. And of course, after that 2000 playoff loss, 2001 playoff loss, I should say, the Ravens pulled it out and urinated on the field at Pro Player Stadium, was it at the time? Either way, they took a piss on the Dolphins' field, and they've just been a thorn in this team's side for a long time. Okay, I want to make a couple more notes here of mentions. This one comes from Kevin Dern, and he gave me the biggest caveat on it. He's at KevinMD4 on Twitter. He tweeted about it, but he gave me the biggest caveat on this theory that if things continue to go in this direction for the Dolphins, which I don't know how you bring the coach back, if those same mistakes occur for 16 games, I don't expect that to happen. But even in a year where you're tanking and lopping off talent, he's got a five-year deal, so it's going to be tough to get out of it. But if that continues in the universe where those are the 16 games we play in blowouts, unprepared penalties, blown coverages, if that happens... You have to look elsewhere. You just do because that's not your guy and that will only further stunt the growth of the organization. And you especially have to make a change at GM too, because at that point you would just clear it all out. So Kevin's theory was maybe you promote Reggie McKenzie, who took a one-year stopgap job here, job here between GM jobs for him. Maybe you promote Marvin Allen. I'm not sure who it is, but all signs would point to a head coach. Jim Harbaugh, the Michigan man himself, Stephen Ross's favorite coach, even though I think a lot of us as Dolphins fans wouldn't like that because Jim Harbaugh, if he gets fired from Michigan, why should he come back to the NFL? Now, Harbaugh's resume is very interesting and very, very good going back, but if he gets beat by Ohio State again, loses to Michigan State again, do we think he can beat the Patriots and even maybe the Jets? Definitely not the Ravens, his brother, John Harbaugh, but I could see that being an idea that enters Stephen Ross's mind. Frankly, if we do move on from Brian Flores, whether it's this year or down the line, and again, I'm not advocating that, just talking about potential future scenarios. If that's the case, I'm going to back up the Brinks truck to Lincoln Riley and say, here you go. Here's Tua tunga Here's a fresh slate to build the team the way you want to do it. And Kevin says that would entice Jim Harbaugh But if it's me, if I'm in charge, I want to get the best. I want to go see what Lincoln Riley will accept to take his game to the NFL because he's got two straight Heisman winners. He's got two straight playoff appearances. And now he's got Jalen Hurts playing like an absolute boss. He would be the only guy that I would even kick the tires on at this point. Okay, one more segment here. We're going to do this every single week. It is Houston Texans watch as the Texans played the New Orleans Saints on Monday night football in the first window, and the Texans lose to the Saints. So the Dolphins now improve that draft pick in addition to their own draft pick, which promises to be very high. If the Texans can continue to lose these games, Miami could get themselves into top 10 position in the draft. Their schedule to open the season is brutal. At 0-1, they play the Jaguars next week, which they catch a break because Nick Foles is out. Then they go to Los Angeles for the Chargers. They're home for the Panthers and Falcons, and they're at the Chiefs and at the Colts. So a rough stretch for the Texans. Hopefully their losing continues and Miami's draft pick in the first round next year gets its way into the top 15, maybe the top 10. I might have to come back and edit this out because I recorded this podcast early. I just expect the Texans to lose to the Saints at home primetime. Drew Brees does not lose those games. And with that, let's go ahead and call it a podcast here. We'll be back with you guys tomorrow for an all-22 breakdown of this horrendous game. I'll tell you exactly where things went wrong and why they went wrong. We're going to have crossover Wednesday with the host of Locked On Patriots. We'll preview the game on Thursday and have College Football Friday, as well as the mailbag edition on the Friday podcast. But as for today's show, that's going to be my time. You guys all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Teams. You can follow me on Twitter at Winkful NFL You can follow the show at LockedOnFins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.